Hi, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of A Trophy Life, the official podcast of the Naismith Awards here in Atlanta. This is your host, Bob Rathbun, bidding you welcome, and what a jam-packed, great show we've got for you this week on the podcast. We'll be diving into the Men's Sweet 16 with Mike Lepresti of the NCA.com. He's at the United Center getting ready for the games when we caught up with Mike on Thursday morning. So lots going on. Uh, coaching news. We've got the women's brackets to talk about. So a lot to cover. But first and foremost is you. We want you involved with our Naismith fan vote presented by Jersey Mike's. It's your chance to have a say and help us select the most outstanding college basketball players and coaches from this year. Our major awards, our finalists have been announced, and you can go online and vote. And you can do that at NaismithFanVote.com. You can get on Twitter and Instagram and follow the links to take you to the vote and cast your ballot. We want to hear from you. You can vote once a day, every day, up until the deadline. Voting will be closing on March the 29th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. And, of course, all of our award winners will be announced at the Men's and Women's Final Fours in Minneapolis and New Orleans. Now we've announced our finalists, so our Jersey Mike's, Naismith Women's Player of the Year finalists are Aaliyah Boston of South Carolina, Caitlin Clark from Iowa, Haley Jones of Stanford, and Melissa Smith of Baylor. Our Jersey Mike's Naismith Men's Player of the Year finalists, Ochai Obaji of Kansas, Johnny Davis of Wisconsin, Keegan Murray from Iowa, and Oscar Shibwe of Kentucky. Our Werner Ladder Naismith Women's Coach of the Year finalists, Wes Moore, NC State, Kim Mulkey, LSU, Dawn Staley of South Carolina, and Tara Vandeveer of Stanford. And our Warner Ladder Naismith Men's Coach of the Year finalists, Mark Adams of Texas Tech, Ed Cooley of Providence, Greg Gard from Wisconsin, and Arizona's Tommy Lloyd. And once again, you can vote online, naismithfanvote.com, and the polls are open until 6 p.m. Eastern Time on March the 29th. It's fun, and to get you involved, and uh, we want to hear from you on our major awards. We begin now with our news and notes for the week and a blockbuster move in the women's coaching world as Joni Taylor leaves UGA to go to Texas A&M to replace the legend Gary Blair. And we wish Joni nothing but the best. Of course, she is one of our former award winners. We also hand out college awards here in the state of Georgia, and Joni Taylor is our former winner for our Women's Coach of the Year. So Joni is leaving UGA for Texas A&M, and that was big news in the women's basketball world. Of course, their Sweet 16 continues, and we're just as excited about that. All four number ones have advanced to the Sweet 16. The women play Friday and Saturday, where the men, of course, get underway Thursday and Friday. I think the big news in the women's tournament was the three, well, really four big upsets at home that were suffered by seeded teams, and they were not able to advance. Iowa lost at home. Baylor LSU and Oklahoma blown out by 44 against Notre Dame. They did not have a chance to advance, so on to the Sweet 16 for all the winners and the four number ones are still alive in the women's side. Not so, of course, for the men, and we'll dive into that more with Mike Lepresti in just a moment. Mike is uh, such a great uh, supporter of Naismith, and what a terrific writer. Uh, Known for his college basketball work, he's an Indiana guy, 
Uh, went to Ball State. He's a Hall of Famer in that school, but had a great writing career with Gannett uh, for many, many years. Covered everything. I mean, Super Bowls, World Series, Masters, Olympics, you name it. And, of course, a mainstay at the Final Four. And he's still on the beat. He's the college basketball writer for NCAA.com. And he's got all kinds of notes and nuggets that you will just love. That conversation with Mike Lepresti coming up after this from Jersey Mike's. If Jersey Mike's turkey had a resume, it would say it's 99% fat-free and raised without antibiotics. But our turkey already has its dream job at Jersey Mike's because premium meat makes a sub above. On the line with us, live from the United Center in Chicago, where he's covering the Midwest region, is the great Mike Lepresti, the, currently the college basketball writer for NCAA.com, but that is, of course, the tip of the iceberg on this man's unbelievable writing career. Mike, it is great to catch up with you. How are you, sir? Doing okay. Following the bouncing ball to a lot of different places, but uh, that's March. Exactly. And uh, we'll start uh, with where you are in the Midwest. Uh, the game's coming up tonight with Kansas and Providence and uh, Miami and Iowa State. I guess it's a Friday-Sunday, but uh, these games, uh, we want to get your take on the entire Sweet 16, but we'll start in the Midwest. The Providence College Friars, one of the unbelievable stories. And, Mike, uh, I think Ed Cooley is going to be uh, one of our leading candidates for our Warner Ladder National Coach of the Year. Don't you? He would have to be on the short list. You know, you're talking about a team that, that – that wasn't expected to really contend in the Big East. Certainly no one expected them to be the national power they were. Um, they're an interesting, really interesting team. They've, they've won a lot of close games. They have a, 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 a immensely veteran lineup, I guess you would call it. The average age of Providence's uh, rotation is 23, and you will find NBA teams who would struggle to get to that age. I think they have five graduate students, so there's a, there's a lot of experience there. Ed Cooley is is a is a Providence guy through and through, uh, and it's just kind of a neat story how that's happened. Uh, that they they just strung a lot of close games together. They, there some have said, boy, it's been a really lucky team, and 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 uh, Ed Cooley particularly has sort of latched onto that phrase and used it as the uh, uh, no one really expected this to be here or to do much, so uh, we're going to surprise a lot of people. And he's he's ridden that horse a long way, and it's still going. They're matched up with Kansas and Mike. I had to do a double take when I was looking at the uh, at the lead into the game. Uh, this is the first Sweet 16 for Kansas since 2018. How can that be possible? But it's true. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's weird. You start looking at some of these numbers on things because of the of COVID, because there was an unusual uh, uh, downturn in some teams. You know, for instance, for Kentucky, since Kentucky lost. Uh, the first round game, Kentucky hasn't won an NCAA tournament game in three years because they weren't in the tournament last year and they had COVID the year before that. So, uh, yeah, we're going to see a lot of interesting little numbers here because the sport has certainly been anything but routine the last few years. But yeah, Kansas is Kansas is always hanging around there, but they uh, uh, they they're a team that once they get to the Sweet 16 does pretty well. Now, it's getting through the next part of that is been a little more challenging for him i think bill self i think it's eight and two and sweet 16 games so he's he knows how to win these games but you get into that elite eight then kansas uh, has had some tough luck but um, you know they're, they're always there and the interesting thing about kansas if they win uh this game 
they passed Kentucky. It's sort of been a, a horse race for the winningest program of all time, and they are dead tied right now. And if Kansas wins, uh, they go into first place for however long that lasts. Well, you talked about Providence being an ancient team. Um, do they hold a candle to Miami? <laughs> they've, got, they've got Charlie Moore. They've got Cam McGusty. They're getting their AARP cards in the mail. Their, their starting lineup combined has spent 25 years in college basketball. Uh, now, when you throw in the transfer, uh, you throw in the redshirt years a lot of them have had, you throw in the extra year of eligibility because of COVID. Uh, yeah, they have been around a while. Now, they haven't been around Miami all that time. You, know, you mentioned Moore. He, he, he has started a game for four different teams, four different schools. So uh, they've been around the block, but they, they are a very veteran team. More importantly for Miami, they have been a very healthy team. If you look at what happened to Miami last year, it was incredible. They they spent most of the year last year with seven, and then uh, scholarship players available in the last eight games of the season, they only had six. And uh, I think they had over a hundred games total lost to injury. So it was a it was a tough year, and that's one reason they went ten and seventeen. And this has been a healthy year, and that's one reason why they're here in Chicago. And speaking of bouncing back, Iowa State. I mean, this is one of the most dramatic turnarounds in the history of college basketball, is it not? Well, when you think about it, they have won as many NCAA tournament games in the last week as they won in any kind of game last season. I mean, you know, they're two and twenty-two. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, they are an example of what can happen now with the transfer portal. I mean, the top five scores for Iowa State, none of them were names Iowa last season. You know, four of them were other schools, and one was in high school, um, 37 of the freshmen. So, uh, you know, they brought in a new coach. They brought in some new players. They've, they've done very well kind of gluing all that together. Uh, they had a great start, uh, non-conference, went unbeaten, got into the Big 12, which is a very, very good league, obviously, and hit some rough patches. I mean, they were 7-11. And Iowa State, had, which had climbed in the rankings, as this great story had sort of disappeared for a while from the conscious because they, they, they took some, some beatings there in the Big 12, but who didn't? But anyway, but here they are, a great defensive team. I mean, they scored, I think, 54 and 59 points last week, and they won both games. So they're not giving up much. Uh, so, uh, yeah, you, 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 you put Miami and, and Iowa State together. I, I think I saw, I looked up something, since the tournament expanded in 1985, there have only been five teams in the Sweet 16 that only won 10 or fewer games the year before. Now, five out of hundreds of teams, well, two of them are in this game. Uh, you have Iowa State and <laughs> Miami. So, and one of them is going to be in the Elite Eight on the doorstep of the Final Four. So it's, it's funny how that's worked out. Well, you know, it, the other team, of course, that the, that the nation is talking about, of course, is St. Peter's. And and my question, Mike, uh, you know, just look at it is, is, how in the world did they lose six games in their own conference? I mean, here they are in the Sweet 16. You know, you, you, you see that sometimes where I don't know if teams get in a rut in their league or people know them and – uh, you know, somehow when you get into the tournament, you're seeing new faces and you can surprise somebody and you sort of hit the reset button. You know, I don't know exactly what's happened there during the season, but I know I was there last week and, and watching the Kentucky game and you just kept sitting there thinking, well, when's Kentucky going to turn it on? When's Kentucky going to turn it on? And then all of a sudden there was no time left on the clock and Kentucky was out of the tournament. Uh, 
Um, you know, the, the thing about San Peter is it's not a fluke in that they won their games. I mean, they, they, they play very good defense. They're very tough-minded. Um, you know, you have Banks who gets 27 points against Kentucky. The next game, he gets six. And, I mean, if you I would have thought you said, if you'd said before the game, well, the guy who was a star against Kentucky is only going to get six points against Murray State, they're probably not going to win, but they did. I mean, it, it shows that they're a team. Um, and, and it's, you know, you, you love having a story like this. I mean, a team that absolutely positively no one saw coming. And so, um, you know, the thing about them, um, they, they don't give up many points particularly late. They didn't give up many points late against Kentucky. They didn't give up many points late against St. Peter's. I mean, they, when it gets to crunch time, they, they're, they're a pretty tough team to move against. So, uh, that's how they got here. And, and you know, the challenge obviously is pretty large what they're facing now, but, you know, who knows? Literally and figuratively. I mean, Purdue's size, you would think they haven't, these guys have never seen anything quite like this. Yeah, you know, Purdue has been, I, I, I live in Indiana, so I've sort of been up close to them quite a bit this season. You know, Purdue's been a kind of an interesting bunch. I mean, they, they, when they are playing well, they are really, really, really good. And it's been, as everyone in Indiana knows, certainly anybody who got anything that Purdue knows, it has been 42 years since the last Final Four, which was in Indianapolis, by the way. Um, and, um, you know, they, they, have, they have come close so many times. In 2019, they went overtime with Virginia in the regional championship game. I mean, they've, they've been close enough to, to taste the Final Four, and they, they feel like they got the team. The thing about it, sometimes they go into these funks. They don't shoot the ball very well. They don't play defense great. Uh, they turned the ball over a little too much, and so they, they they had some losses they didn't see coming, and that's why they ended up probably, I think game in and game out, they probably were the best team in the Big Ten, but they didn't win the Big Ten. So, um, um, you know, they are certainly a force, and they're going to be a, a real force for St. Peter's to have to handle because you've got a seven foot four guy and then a six foot eleven guy, and they sort of play tag team on the opponent, and it's tough to stay in there against them, and then they have a massively talented player. And Ivy, so it it's uh, they've got a lot of things going for them. The other game in the East is UCLA and North Carolina, and you know these days, Mike, uh, you can bet on two raindrops going down the window. And I saw there was one of these things where you could wager on the telecast whose image would appear first on a Carolina UCLA game: Dean Smith or John Wooden. You're, you're looking at 17 national championships represented there, and that is almost one quarter of all the trophies that have ever been handed out, uh, and, and you know, represented by two schools in one game. So yeah, that's a pretty blue-blooded game there. Uh, but uh, to the average 20-year-old, 21-year-old trying to get to the Final Four, um, they don't think a lot about yesterday. So I'm, I'm not yeah. sure that it means much to the players, but certainly when you see those names, there's a, there's a royal, a regal feeling to that matchup. Yeah, to the kids, you're right. Uh, it, it might as well be the Peloponnesian War as far as they're yeah, concerned. They're ready to get out there. Uh, before, I mean, we'll touch on the West and the South, but I, I just wanted to get your takeaways, Mike, on, on what you felt like through the first weekend. Officiating was a hot-button issue for sure. Um as you had a chance to to reflect and, and digest what happened last weekend, what were some of your your major takeaways? Well, I think you know if you look at the themes of this tournament, I mean there there, there were there were a lot of upsets. Um, the, uh, you know Kentucky being the biggest shocker, but there were there were a fair number of double digit seeds that, that moved on. I think you see the effect. You know. The, the, 
the makeup of rosters is unusual, um, unlike it's, it's ever been because of the COVID, because so many kids came back. Because you have teams like Miami and Providence with guys in their fifth year and sixth year. And so, you know, I've always thought one of the strongest weapons in March is, is, is when a team has three or four seniors who have invested a lot of their time and they don't want it to end, and they're going to fight to the last bullet because they don't want it to end. And that can be a really powerful thing that gets teams uh, to a long ride. Well, the thing about it is this year there are a lot of teams like that. There are a lot of fourth and fifth and sixth year guys out there. So I, I think we saw that to some degree. On the, on the officiating, it is such a remarkably difficult game to call now because the bodies are bigger and they are faster they're stronger, and it gets really tough inside to try to clean some of that up. I mean, it, it, it's hard on offenses to get kind of a flow to them, uh, to get motion to them. Um, you know, I, I, I feel for the officials who have to try to – I mean, if, if you sit down close to the court and you watch how these guys hit one another and make contact, uh, you know, how do you police that without having 100 free throws a game, which nobody wants? So – uh, you know, it, it's a tough. There have been some calls you look at and you thought, oh, boy. And you're always going to have that. I, I don't believe, fortunately, yet, there has been a call where you can say in the last minute it, it, it decided the game. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure that one comes to mind. But there are some calls, certainly during the, season, during the game, that people look at and say that was a wrong call. And, and, and they certainly have impact on the game. But I mean, it's not one of those that, you know, somebody makes a terrible call in the last 10 seconds and the winner should have lost and the loser should have won. So I, I hope we don't have that. Yeah, Jamie Dixon might submit the TCU-Arizona end of game. Uh, it was a no call. It wasn't a call, but it was a no call. Right. I mean, you figure right. if they make the proper foul call, they're shooting to win the game with three seconds to go. Um it, just a quick, we got to get you going because you're there at the United Center getting ready for the press conferences, et cetera. Uh, any quick thoughts on the West and the South? The West is Gonzaga, Arkansas, Duke, Texas Tech. South is Villanova, Michigan, Arizona, Houston. Well, obviously Gonzaga, they keep they keep trailing in the second half, which is not you know very unlike Gonzaga. So we'll see if that's that's dangerous dangerous habit to have. So we'll see if they cause that. Obviously, all eyes right now are on Texas Tech, Duke. I mean, where does the Mike Shishovsky? run in. I mean, it would be certainly ironic that if they would lose to Texas Tech to a coach who is almost his age, a little younger, but is in his first year. I mean, it's just a, a totally different story um, on that. And, you know, um, Michigan Villanova is interesting to me because they're in San Antonio and they played for the national championship. And I think Villanova um, is a team to, 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 to really watch. Uh, I, you know, they don't get a lot of publicity, a lot of um, not that people don't know about Villanova, but they they don't sometimes get mentioned as much as some of these other schools, and they're playing they're playing pretty well. And then, you know, Arizona is a team that's uh, another team that this year nobody really expected this from. And uh, keep in mind, Arizona is the last West Coast team to win the national championship, and we are talking about what 25 years now. So uh, uh, they've got that going to form too. So, but I think when you look at those regionals, what you look at first to see is uh, what happens with Texas Tech. Do. Wow, so many great games and so, and storylines. Bonzi Wells was my favorite ball stater, but I'm switching to Mike Lepresti. To Mike Lepresti. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, his vertical jump is a little higher than mine, I can assure you of that. 
<laughs> Mike, thank you so much. And thanks for all you do for us at Naismith. Uh, it's just tremendous and, and such a great read over the years. I miss basketball times. I, you're the first column I read when that baby came out every month. And uh, we miss that, us old timers. But uh, we can still follow you on NCA.com, and it's just as great as ever. Mike, thanks so much for taking time. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you, Mike. That's going to do it for this week. Let the games begin. And when we gather next, we'll be talking about the Final Four and our national award winners. And don't forget to vote. NaismithFanVote.com, presented by Jersey Mike Summers. That's it for this week. Enjoy the games, everybody. From Atlanta, Bob Rathbun saying so long. So long.